What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome back to Wellness Inc. I'm Dr. Mike Moreno, taking a deep dive into all things wellness after over 25 years of practicing medicine. I'm fascinated with anything and everything that can help you feel better, live healthier, and become the best you possible. I'll be interviewing the most cutting edge experts in the field of wellness and exploring new innovative technologies to help you live your best life. At the end of each episode, I'll give you my weekly RX, my top tips for you to use right away. Remember to subscribe for free, rate and review my podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So we're going to talk today about something that I think everybody wants to uh, have the answer to, right? The, uh, the fountain of youth, as we say. One of the things I've always told my patients, and I say it multiple times a day, there's a difference between aging and getting older. And I say this repeatedly. We all want to get older because the day you stop getting older, you got a bigger problem on your hands, but it's how we get older. And I think that's where the term aging comes in. So I'm really excited to uh, bring a giant in the field. And when I say giant, this guy's big deal. That 2018 was one of Time Magazine's most influential scientists. Dr. Walter Longo is the Edna M. Jones Professor of Gerontology and Biological Sciences and director of the Longevity Institute at the University of Southern California, the Leonard Davis School of Gerontology. It's in Los Angeles, one of the leading centers for research on aging and age-related disease. Dr. Longo is also the director of the Longevity and Cancer Program at the IFOM Institute of Molecular Oncology in Milan, Italy. This guy's the real deal. Dr. Longo, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike. Very, very excited. Now, I've been saying that, what I said at the top of the show, I say this to my patients all the time. Aging, my mother always taught me this when I was a little kid. She used to always say, well, it's nice to age gracefully, right? And, you know, of course, I was like six years old. I didn't know what that meant. But as I got older, I realized that as we get older, we want to get older, right? Put another candle on the birthday cake. That's important. But aging and and getting older, I've always felt we're two separate processes. I'm interested to see what you think about that whole thought. Yes, obviously. Um, we want to get, we want to live as long as possible and uh, <laughs> we want to age as little as possible, right? So exactly. Uh, organisms seem to have uh, multiple uh, programs, right? And some of these programs are standby programs, what we call maintenance programs. And so it is possible to actually getting older, get older, uh, and at the same time being a standby as far as aging is concerned. So if you think about it, we're we're always stuck in a reproductive mode, right? So our body is is uh, uh, with all the food we eat is always trying to reproduce and grow, but yet we almost never reproduce. So then, what we've been saying for decades is, can you sort of get off that track and get on the maintenance track, and then get back on that track of growth? Uh, only when you need to do it. Okay, so now I got to ask you, we have very parallel philosophy, so I'm interested because I, I use this five-pillar approach 
for health and wellness. And I know you talk about five pillars of longevity. I'd love for you to take us through those five pillars of longevity, because I mean, everybody's thinking, okay, I want to know what this guy has to say, because as you said, we all want to live long, but we don't want to necessarily age at the same rate. We want to slow that process or do it as my mother always said in, you know, in a graceful way. So Let's talk about those five pillars of longevity. Yeah, so five pillars, uh, I think the idea came from, uh, you know, so I, I do a lot of basic work. I do uh, also a, a lot of uh, clinical trials. And, and now we open a, a clinic uh, for my foundation in, in Los Angeles. Uh, so I always thought, how important is it to have all these pillars, right? Not just, not just a clinical, uh, but also, say, epidemiology, and basic research, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where the five pillars came from. And, and, and yeah, so one of the pillars is basic research focus on longevity. So how do you make a mouse, a rat, a monkey uh, live longer? You know, is there something conserved that we keep seeing uh, making this organism a longer lip? And the other one is clinical trials, right? Randomized clinical trials. Uh, that's a, that's an important pillar. So if you're trying to make a decision about should you eat more protein, less protein? Well, let's go see what happens there. People that eat a lot of protein, versus does have law, what changes occur in the body shorter? But then that's limited timing. So then you say, well, what about long-term? What happens to somebody has lots of proteins all the time versus somebody has low protein all the time? Well, then you go to epidemiological studies, right? And then this will tell you what's the association between you know, mortality, cancer, cardiovascular disease, and protein intake. But then I think these are really very scientific, very important pillars, but then I thought, what about centenarians? You know, centenarians to me is a fourth pillar because they represent success stories, right? So you, you can't make it, or it's very difficult right. to make it to 100, 110 if you made a lot of mistakes in your life, right? So I think uh, that the, the common denominators between these uh, four pillars is really important. So what, what matches all of it, right? So what doesn't violate? What, what's a diet or anything else that matches all these um you know, uh, data. Uh, and, and that's what, what I look for. And the fifth one is complex system. I, I also wanted to bring in something from sort of like the physics world where right. you look at planes and, and cars, how do they age? You know, what, you know, for example, if you think about an athlete and in and wear and tear, uh, you, if somebody asks you, well, is it good for me to be running three hours a day? You know, it's, it's a difficult question, right? And say, right. yes, uh, maybe good for a while, but I imagine if you do this for 40 years, you know, your knees, your hips, et cetera, et cetera, are going to suffer, right? So, and if you think about a car, well, is it if you were selling somebody a car and you said, you know, I, I parked it in my garage, never took it out. It's not such a good, such a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> but if you say that I have 300,000 miles on this car, Somebody will say, I don't want this car either. You know, so people will want a car that has maybe 30,000 miles, has you know, been driven, you know, the, the right amount of time. So, anyway, so this is a pillar number five, which I think is uh, uh is also very important because it's is we build cars, we build planes, so we know, you know, why do they get damaged in the long run? You know, why do they rust? You know, why do they break down? And and right. I thought it was a, a, an important pillar. Well, you know, one of the things I, I do a lot of analogies with my patients, I try to kind of draw very basic conclusions to get a point across to them. Thousands of times I've told patients, let's say you and I go down to the car dealership. We both buy the same year, the same make, the same model of car, brand new. And 
I take care of mine. I change the oil. I rotate the tires. I take it in for servicing and you just drive the heck out of yours. And whose car is going to last longer? Who's is going to look better and last longer? And that's exactly what you're bringing up. So I feel good that I've been telling people the right thing at least. So uh, I'm, I'm happy about that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's dive a little bit because I'm fascinated with this and I want to know, I want to hear it from you. Can you tell us about the fasting mimicking diet? It's really the result of, of decades of work, starting with me working for Roy Walford. And Roy was this uh, MD at, at UCLA. He was my boss back in the early 90s. And he was really the, the, the world leading person for nutrition and longevity. And, uh, and, and Walford was focusing on something called calorie restriction, which was a very simple idea. Or if you just take the same identical diet that you're already eating and you cut it by 25%, uh, uh, you know, what happens? That's called calorie restriction. Uh, well, what happens is lots of good and lots of bad, right? So, uh, and they <laughs> even out, right? It, 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 they, they, at the end, you get a little bit of a benefit, but not much. Uh, so then the fasting making diet was the, you know, was trying to address, was trying to say, calorie restriction can have remarkable effects on diabetes, on cancer, on cardiovascular disease. And eventually, thanks to another student of Walford, Richard Weindruck, uh, this was shown for monkeys, right? So the lifelong studies on monkeys showing, you know, really revolution of these age-related diseases. But then, um, uh, you know, the lifespan was not increased very much. So, so then what if you can intervene with a fasting, with a, with a fasting first and then fasting making that later? for just a few days every, say, three or four months? What if you could just expose the person to five days of a fasting diet uh, every four months and then say, that's it. Well, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Um, much more like a medicine that you would be used to, to prescribing. And uh, yeah. So, so I just want to be clear. So every four months, you go through this process. Yeah. So every that, is, four months, you get a box, essentially. Right. And, uh, right. and you know, and, and I uh, I cannot discuss, you know, too much about the commercial part or anything about the commercial part. But I, I, I have to say that the, the reason that, um, you know, there is a commercial part is because of the standardization of, of the, the diet. Right. So what was tested in clinical trials? Uh, needs to be then brought to the uh, to the people, and I have to say I donate everything to charity, so I don't make a penny out of uh, out of anything that is commercial. But that said, you know the, um, uh, the I think this the fasting world is getting a little bit out of control, right? So everybody yeah. uh, goes <laughs> home and they think uh, you know that no matter what they do is going to be good for you, and that's absolutely wrong. You know this. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, to make it into mainstream medicine has to be standardized, has to have FDA-like, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to have FDA approval. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but it will have to have FDA-like standards. So if the FDA says, look, you get a waiver here, I don't think it's necessary for an approval, 
I think that those, some of those can be standardized and, and given to people in that format. Otherwise, they need to be FDA approved. So yeah, the fasting making diet, then why it came out? It came out it, thanks to the government, the US government and the National Cancer Institute, because we tried a clinical trial on water-only fasting with cancer patient, and we realized that it was a disaster. Nobody, the patient didn't want to do it. The oncologist did not want them to do it. And so then we went to the National Cancer Institute and said, can we, because we understand so much about, uh, you know, our amino acids, uh, proteins and certain amino acids, uh, the carbohydrate and specific carbohydrate, fats and specific fats, how they, they regulate different processes and how right. fasting uh, relates to the levels of these different uh, ingredients. So we use all of that sort of knowledge to make the fasting Mickey diet. So the idea was the patients get to eat not normally, but you know they get to eat uh, uh, three meals a day and uh, and get the benefits of fasting at the same time. So, what do you say to people? Because I know I hear this all the time. Patients that come in and say, "Well, it's genetic. It's in my genes. So, no matter what I do, uh, you know, I'm doomed." You know, my brothers and my dad they all had heart attacks at 50, so it doesn't make a difference. Now, obviously, I disagree, and and I point out, you know, there are things in our, our health we have control over and things that we don't, but how do you feel? And what would you say to an individual out there listening, thinking, well, I'm a genetic nightmare as far as cardiovascular disease. So why put the effort into something like this? The opposite, right? So right. <laughs> you're a genetic uh, disaster. Uh, that's absolutely why you need to follow uh, all the, all the possible interventions. So for example, if you take P53, so this this uh, tumor suppressor, um, if, there, if you in mice, if you take away this tumor suppressor, they get a lot more cancer. If you take these mice, which are like the the quintessential disaster genetic uh, uh, nightmare, <laughs> you know, for for cancer, uh, they all get cancer very rapidly. If you put them on a calorie restriction diet, you have a tremendous effect on their on their ability uh, to to live longer. Uh, so they live much longer uh, thanks to the diet, right? So, and, and this is about as bad as it gets. So most people are now born with P53 uh, homozygous mutation, meaning like they don't have a single copy of the P53. Um, and so, um, and so the most likely uh, nutrition can make a big difference. So yeah, of course, all of us are, are doomed, right? Genetically. Right. We, uh, <laughs> right. You know, there is not a single person I've ever met. I followed a lot of uh, people with record longevity, uh, one of them uh, made it to 117, but that's it, right? So, so we're programmed to die. Let's put it this way: maybe we're programmed to die, but I say for sure we're programmed to live so long, and then we're on our own. And um, uh, so then uh, the um, uh, the nutrition and the lifestyle and other things can can make uh, uh, a lot of difference on whether that program that you're born with. Uh, let's say somebody has uh, heart attacks in the family. Uh, in their in their 50s all the time, uh, right. well, that person may benefit more than anybody else. In, exactly. Uh, in nutrition, right? So so then that person needs to decide, am I going to go with the Esselstein, the Ornish uh, like, like type of thing, or am I going to go with more like what I've been preaching, which is higher fats. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of similarities, but in, in my case, I'm, I'm, I'm proposing say, low protein, uh, higher fats, but very specific pescatarian diet which I think is, is by far the more realistic and also as effective potentially as the very low fat uh, diet. Yeah. Well, that's the key, realistic. Uh, you know, I, I've told my patients for years, there's a certain 
what I feel is an ideal diet is it has to be likable. Uh, it has to be affordable. It has to be doable and sustainable. My friends, I was talking to a friend of mine last week and I, he's like, oh, I said, you know, how you doing with all this stuff going on and da, da, da. And he said, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm dropping some weight. I'm, I'm just eating nothing but cabbage for a month. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so, you know, you hear these stories about people that do all these things. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I guess good luck with that. But why can't you just be reasonable about your approach? You know, I think when you look at the Mediterranean diet, pescatarian diet, it's a solid diet. It's a doable diet. It's, I mean, it's enjoyable. You can enjoy and live like that. You can go to the extreme of a whole food plant-based diet. Clearly there's research there. Clearly it's a great way to go. I am suspect as to how many people can honestly live that way all the time. I feel like if you truly are truly plant-based, I really think it's maybe 5% of the population that can sustain that. So it has to be a sustainable thing. You know, what are your thoughts on, on, on those sort of points? Yeah. I mean, not only that, um, but uh, as suspected and, and we suspected that from the beginning uh, there are problems with the vegan diet, right? So the new one is fractures, right? Fractures are now 250% of those of people in the, in the vegans, compared to people uh, on an animal-based diet, right? So now you're starting to see the right. negatives. Also about 20% or so, if not 30 or 40, but for sure 20% are malnourished among the vegan uh, population, right? So- Absolutely. As, as anticipated, uh, it's, you can be vegan and healthy, but that's a job, right? So it's a, it's a difficult job and it's an uncertain job. You know, what will happen after 30 or 40 years, even if you did everything perfectly, uh, we don't know. And this two and a half fold uh, increase in fractures uh, is, is a reminder of how, um, how bad an improvisation can be. And that's what veganism uh, can be looked at is uh, if, if especially if not done correctly. I mean, there's no doubt that diet is a, a huge part of everything. But, I, you know, I have a couple of very close friends of mine who went to med school with these guys uh, and they a couple of years ago, just, you know, one of them had a tremendous amount of cardiovascular disease in his family, both his mother and father. I mean, really high risk. And to the point we were speaking of earlier, he recognized this. And rather than say, oh, well, you know, I'm genetically doomed. I'm just going to live my life. He's like, well, my genes aren't the greatest cards in the world, right? So I'm going to play my cards the best I can. But he doesn't do a lot of exercise. And I told him, I said, listen, it's great that you're eating, you know, he's thin. And I said, it's great that you're eating well and you're whole food plant-based. I said, but you need cardio. You need that other element to it. So when I talk to patients, I, I really feel like when you talk about weight, pure weight, obesity, I think it's 90%, 85% food related and maybe 10 or 15% related to activity. But you know, people, it's about choosing the right foods. It's about portion control and really what time of the day you eat and when you eat. So what are your thoughts in terms of that sort of association with food and exercise? When, how, what do you think about that? I mean, I want people to kind of get an idea of what your thoughts are. Well, my thought, uh, again, is five pillar base. So in my book, I talk about um, you know, about 150 minutes of exercise a week seems to be ideal. When you go to 300 minutes, you really don't see much of a difference in mortality. And these are people, we're talking about millions of people follow for decades, right? So it's a right. good number, you know, I really like that. I also like the fact that this meta-analysis, you know, studies of all studies were repeated 
confirmed by multiple uh, studies um, in or multiple publications. So yeah, there's about 150 minutes a week of exercise um, with about maybe 10% of that being more strenuous exercise, you know, pushing yourself a little bit more. Uh, so 15 minutes a week, essentially, where you push yourself and 150 minutes where you do exercise. Uh, and then on top of that, I think, uh, you know, if you learn again from the centenarians, about an hour or two a day of just being active, you know, just, uh, I always say, pick a restaurant or a coffee shop that is 15 minutes away. I do this every day. So instead of picking the closest one, pick the the, the, the farthest one and go there a couple of times a day. Right. So that's an hour walk right there. Just get coffee, come back 30 minutes, you know, get lunch and come back another 30 minutes. And you don't even realize after a while that you do this, uh, you don't even realize it. And um, yeah, so simple uh, changes that that can make, a, I think, a tremendous difference. So let's let's talk about this. When I think of common diseases that that you know consume us consume this country every year obviously cardiovascular claims three quarters you know 650 700,000 lives a year you think of cancers obviously one of the big things we think about is dementia and i think when you look at dementia and the process that sort of neurological studies what would you say to people out there about food and diet as it applies to neurodegenerative disease or dementia? I mean, what would you say your advice would be in terms of food and thought, you know, thoughts around that? Yeah. But first of all, my advice about food are, are fairly complex. And I think that it doesn't mean doing it is complex. It means that you know, the it's got, it's got an age-specific component. I usually tell people to eat more and not less, but of a very particular in a very particular way. I tell people don't go uh, fast every day, but only for 12 hours, so 12 on and 12 off. I tell people that are overweight, you know, skip a meal. Uh, it's gonna be probably lunch, you know, because of uh, skip. People are not gonna skip dinner. Most people. Uh, but lunch, a lot of people can do. You know, I do this. You know, for weight control uh, all the time. I'm be four months now. I haven't uh, eaten lunch because I, I I go to Italy usually every year and I gain I gain weight and, and that's the way I control it, right? <laughs> uh, right. Uh, breakfast and dinner and then uh, I just have coffee for lunch. It's uh, it's more complex. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, I'm just gonna eat. Uh, so uh, because just like fasting, if you say pescatarian or vegan. I, to me, it's just words, you know, you have to know, and this is why the doctors and the dietitian and the nutritionist, and I mean, in the clinic here in Santa Monica, uh, we put together a molecular biologist, an internal medicine a doctor, a dietitian, and I think it's a team, then they can, right. they can really, you don't have to see them all the time, but if you saw them a couple of times a year, they could change your life because they look at what age you are, you know, what weight you are, and and, and they come up with something uh, for you. So with all that said, you know, Alzheimer, I think it's really about aging more than anything else. All these diseases are really about aging. Once you intervene, so for example, if you look at these little mice, and then we have people who have the same mutation, growth hormone receptor deficient, right? So you take this growth hormone receptor deficient mice, and, and I'll tell you in a second about the people, and they live 40% longer, and this is being confirmed by lots of laboratory. But the beauty of this, the health of them will never get any disease, right? So now these mice get, you know, live 40% longer and, 
And normally, less than 10% of the mice don't get any diseases. And this goes five-fold higher. So, so that's, wow, that's a lot. That's what we've been trying to preach to, 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 the, to the medical community, which is, I think, largely ignored, is if you intervene and age, what kind of, how many 20-year-olds or 25-year-olds have any of these diseases, right? How many 20-year-olds right. have, you know, diabetes and cancer? Almost nobody, right? Why is that? Well, the longevity program is so powerful. And it's the same thing. How many 20-year-olds have Alzheimer's or, or any cognitive decline? Correct. Existent, non-existent, right? So then the focus, of course, you know, you can think about prevention of single diseases, but it's really pointless, right? Um, the, the focus has to be on the longevity program. How do I make you uh, age as slowly as possible? And the Alzheimer, uh, uh, hopefully then you get like Emma Morano to 117 cognitively or, or Salvatore Caruso 110 cognitively in perfect shape because, you know, the, the aging process is being slowed down as much as possible. So now we have people in Ecuador. They have the same mutation as these little mice. And not surprisingly, Rarely they get cancer. We've, we've seen one single cancer case in about 40 years of, of direct observation by either myself or Guevara, who's the, the endocrinologist there. Diabetes, they're obese and they don't, uh, rarely get diabetes. Cognitively, we actually brought them to Los Angeles. We did fMRIs. They have a cognitive performance that is of people that are 10, 15, 20 years younger than they are. Wow. Never, <laughs> never seen a case of Alzheimer's disease in them, right? And they have terrible diet. They drink, they smoke, they don't exercise, right? So this is a power of the aging programs, right? So if the aging program is set on the uh, sort of maintenance mode, like it is in their case, um, then I think, uh, uh, you know, lots of these, it doesn't mean that you're protected from everything. You can still get cancer, get, and mice, they still get cancer, but they get a lot less and, you know, and, and same, same uh, for other diseases, right? So, so the point being, Nutri uh, use nutrition to control the genes that control aging. And then lots of the diseases will, will go along with it. A lot of us out there, you know, as you get older, you, you, you know, I talk to my patients all the time, right? There is an incidence of disease that starts to occur for certain disease processes at certain ages. And you get this sort of bell-shaped curve, right? You, you start to see a certain disease at this age, it peaks around this age. And then once you get past a certain age, you rarely see it anymore. Let's say you and I can produce the perfect human, right? A lot of us are thinking of our kids. Maybe a lot of my listeners right now are, are thinking, oh gosh, you know, I have an 18 year old at home and they're trying to get them on a good habits just to live the longest and healthiest life possible. What are you going to tell this parent of this 18-year-old? What are you going to say? Here is what I would recommend, and this is how I'd recommend from a nutritional standpoint. You talked a little bit about the 150 minutes a week and then 15 minutes a week of heavier exercise. What would you say from a nutritional standpoint? How can this person live the longest, best life ever? Well, I mean, you know, if you start 18, I would say uh, give them another uh, seven years of a, of a Mediterranean diet, Right. Uh, because the Mediterranean diet is much more permissive, white, uh, white meat, uh, red meat, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let them grow, let them develop fully. Then at 25, I would go to pescatarian and I would go to 12 hours. I would be less restrictive, not many rules until 25, they're not gonna have any problem, but Mediterranean is perfect. Then at 25, I would go to pescatarian. So now I will remove the red meat. I would remove the white meat. I would just go fish a couple of times a week. Uh, maybe eggs a couple of times a week, 
and then a vegan diet. Other than that, uh, eat within 12 hours a day, and uh, um, and if you start gaining weight, uh, skip the lunch or the dinner, uh, which one, or, or replace it with something very low calorie, very healthy. Uh, so those are uh, be the the main uh, advices until they get to about you know, 65 or 70. Now at 65 and 70, most people start losing weight, right? Then at 65, 70, you probably- Right, have, we get worried about muscle mass. Uh, lean body mass and, and bone bone density, et cetera. So then at that point, I think you wanna slowly go back to the Mediterranean diet, right? And, uh, and, and you know, and having more of a variety because now the system, uh, I think um, we see this very clearly with, with animals in animal studies, it becomes less redundant, meaning that it, it, it needs everything it can get, right? So so if it has, let's say, amino acid, right. uh, so the vegan diet, for example, if legumes are very low in methionine and lots of other amino acids, and, and the system can, can, it's okay. If you're 35 years old, probably no problem if you have lots of legumes. But if you're 75 years old, uh, you could be really an accelerating your your frailty program, right? So now you become weaker and weaker very rapidly, and and the immune system could be uh, you know uh, susceptible to these problems, and you know so the bones, the, the muscle, the immune system, potentially the the cognitive uh, system. So the uh, so then it's better to to go to a higher nourishment, and slowly the nourishment becomes more important. Than the uh, than the pro aging effect, right? So, for example, uh, Carlo Bava was a physician of was the physician of uh, Emma Morano in Verbania, who made it to 117 at about 100 years of age. Start giving her uh, 100 grams a day of raw meat, right? Which is, of course, wow. it's crazy to say, yeah, I'm going to give a 40 year old the same, right? But when she made it to 100 and she was anemic, uh, Carlo said, I think this is the way to go. And I think, you know, that's the reason why he made, made her the third longest lived person of all times in the world, right? <laughs> so it took Carlo Bava, very clever right. position, to say, hey, she's 100. I'm not going to think of her as I think of a 60-year-old. So, you know, this intervention now, this crazy intervention now, um, probably gave her the, the ability to make it another 17 years. I know when I went to med school 30 years ago, we weren't really taught about nutrition, you know, and now I work with dietitians and nutritionists all the time. Like you were saying earlier, it is a team effort. It's a collaboration of, of knowledge. And I think that, and thankfully it's changed now because in medical school, nutrition is at the forefront. It is a big part of it. We recognize all of these things. I think, you know, the basic elements are there. You have to stay active mentally and physically. You have to hydrate your body, right? You have to make sure you're hydrated throughout the day. But to your point, it's about a, a doable, practical diet. I, I, there are so many diets out there so depriving. And, I, and deprivation, in my opinion, when you're talking about food, deprivation leads to failure. When, when someone is struggling, working so hard to maintain a certain diet that that they think is the right thing for them, that's hard to maintain for a lifetime. So what I love about what you're saying is there's a shift. And I think at certain times of your life, certain eating habits are appropriate and others aren't. And I think if you can give people that sort of practical approach, and then you got to take into account cultural things, right? So I'm Mexican. I grew up in a Mexican family. We ate the same kind of stuff. And it's like, 
you know, there's that cultural aspect and economics and, and everything. But I, I think the take home point that I hear from you is that diet is and food is a tremendous impact on how we live, how healthy we live and how long we live. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. I mean, if you look at a hundred years, and that's probably like a statement that is worth more than my opinion. If you look at a hundred years of research on aging, and you asked a hundred of the top uh, scientists that work on aging, physicians all the way to very basic molecular biologists, and you say, can you tell me one thing that has been the, what's the one thing that has been more successful in history in, uh, in affecting the aging process? And I would say, the majority will say, uh, has been dietary restriction, right? Has been nutritional intervention. It could be dietary restriction or some type of nutritional intervention. So yeah, so absolutely. I mean, uh, nutrition is by far uh, the, the main controller of, of genes in the human body. I mean, it'd be hard to think of something. If you, if you take a person or a group of people and you starve them, I always gave this challenge to anybody that I talk to and say, I challenge you to find me any other intervention that will cause more gene expression changes in the human body than five days of a fasting diet, right? Uh, so, so yeah, that tells you, right? The body, brain, liver, everything is completely reprogrammed. Everything, right? Yeah, imagining even a cocktail of drugs, you wouldn't even get anywhere near that, that kind of reprogramming of the human body. No, and not to mention, you know, when you look at all of these, people are still looking for that quick answer, right? What's the pill that's going to, you know, make me, you know, it drives me nuts too. You watch TV and you watch these commercials with all these, you know, big pharma and it shows, you know, the, we combine this pill and this pill and this pill. And now these people are like laughing and singing and having a good old time. I'm like, just eat right <laughs> for crying out loud. Just eat properly. You know, I have to thank you, Dr. Longo. I love your philosophy. I love everything about what you say. And I love the doability. I, I think some really interesting takeaways, and I'm going to kind of talk about those in a second. Where do we find you? Yeah. So the, the best uh, uh, thing, if they're interested in what we uh, preach, uh, is the clinic. It's a foundation clinic. It's a nonprofit. It's called Create Cures uh, uh, Millstone Foundation Clinic. It's in, it's in Los Angeles. And they can, uh, I think you can easily find it at createcures.org. And, uh, uh, and then you can, the people can make an appointment. This, a lot of it can be done uh, online. Uh, we have, again, a team of uh, physicians as well as uh, molecular biologists and dietitians uh, uh, there. And uh, then I also have a Facebook, uh, Professor Walter Longo page, where we put up all the sort of news from, from our side of the world. And then the book, uh, The Longevity Diet, um, is uh, again, uh, all of it belongs to the foundation. is a nonprofit, uh, so the book, all the profit, all the revenue uh, from my part at least go to the foundation. So yeah, the longevity diet. Uh, uh, it was my uh, I wrote that a couple of years ago, um, and uh, I, that's probably the easiest way to uh, to learn the things that that we uh, recommend. Great. Listen, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. A wealth of knowledge. Great stuff. Uh, really appreciate you taking time to spend uh, with us and educate us, all of us. So thank you. Thank you. Great questions. Yeah, thank you. Weekly RX. So that's it for today. Good stuff. Gosh, you know, food is is the answer, how we eat. I, and I, I'll tell you, for me, the biggest thing that Dr. Longo made 
a point of was using nutrition to control our genes. You're not done just because you're of a genetic makeup. Use nutrition to control your genes. We have more control over our destiny than we think. And secondly, movement. And he talked about moving 150 minutes a week. That's doable, guys. 30 minutes, five days a week. We can do that. And then 15 minutes, one five of a little bit of heavier stuff, right? Strengthen the bones, develop muscle mass. So a lot of great stuff. We could go on and on, but uh, listen, nutrition is your friend. Learn about it, follow it, and uh, you can live a longer, healthier life. So that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe for free. Download and listen to Wellness Inc. with me, Dr. Mike Moreno, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And follow me on social at The 17-Day Diet. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional. This podcast does not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.